Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Now, Rachel Fanning, Fanning, uh, Fanning, Birmingham, is with me on the programme today. Rachel is the founder of the Birthright Alliance Ireland. Rachel, you're with us to talk about calls to ease maternity um, restrictions in hospitals. Just what is the current state of play? Hi, Andrea. Um, it's lovely to speak with you. Um, yeah, so just for those who are listening who might not be aware, um, the ongoing maternity restrictions um, in the hospitals, it's it feels a bit like a, a deja vu, I was saying today, that we're still talking about this mm. um, in 2023. But unfortunately, a lot of the hospitals, even though on the 19th of April, they're lifting the mask mandates, um, they still have restrictions on support partners um, and not as what they were in 2021, you know, as strict as that. Um, but a lot of them are not allowing partners into antenatal appointments. Um, they're not allowing them into certain scans. Um, and there's also a restriction on children attending. So if you have older children, um, they're not allowed to come into the hospitals after you've given birth to meet their, their new sibling. Um, so, there, yeah, there's still a lot of issues going on. There's still restrictions. Um, I'll just... I, give a shout out as well that um, I'm one of the, the founders of the Birth Rights Alliance Ireland. Um, so we're a group of birth rights advocates, midwives, doulas um, and service users. And we're working to improve the maternity hospital and the maternity systems in Ireland. So this is just unfortunately one of the, the many issues that we're seeing. Um, and it is a symptom of much larger problems within our maternity system. Okay. So these are people obviously very familiar with the discussion around the introduction of restrictions in maternity hospitals during during COVID. Um, and I suppose maybe in some cases, well, look, the, the need for them certainly at a time or when, when things were particularly difficult. However, I think a lot of people might be surprised that there is still the hangover of those restrictions and that, as you say, um, there's still quite a number of them in place. Why are those restrictions around the antenatal appointments and that, Rachel, not being eased if the mask wearing is going to be lifted from next week? Yeah, well, that is the million dollar question, as they say. Um, why aren't they being eased? Why, why are we stuck in a situation where, you know, life has pretty much returned to normal to pre-COVID and, and all other aspects, but the maternity hospitals still are using this as an excuse to implement these restrictions. Um, they are supposed to publish risk assessments, which state why they are implementing these restrictions. To date, we've never seen a published risk assessment, um, and requests for those have kind of gone unanswered, or individuals who have queried their local maternity units have been told that they need to FOI for these documents. Um, and I would say that that's really unacceptable. It's not ease of access, um, particularly if you are you know, a migrant woman or someone who doesn't have the literacy skills to, to look for an FOI. Um, and if we're being really frank as well, you know, pregnancy is time limited. So if you put in an FOI for this information, chances are sometimes it's not even going to come back until after you've given birth. So it's not really an acceptable answer to say to people, you need to, you know, dig a bit deeper for the answers okay. to why we're not allowing your husband into this appointment. Well, um, for, for, for expectant um, parents, mums or dads, if you're listening to us on the show today, if you find yourself in this situation and you want to join us, you can give me a call. It's 1800 453 106. Rachel, just the language you used there, you said that you think some of the hospitals are using this. 
these restrictions. Like, why would the hospitals, um, I mean, my point is that I, I assume the, ho- the maternity hospitals, they've maintained and kept these restrictions. They obviously think there's a need to, in terms of the, the health and welfare of, of expectant mums and, and children. Yeah, well, again, we've like, never I don't think had, they do it unnecessarily, know, like... Yeah, well, and, and, and that's what we're asking for them, is to, to publish the risk assessments to say why these are necessary. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, from our point of view, as people who, you know, work closely with women um, who are attending these services, it, it is a symptom of a much larger problem. You know, um, the, the maternity hospitals in a lot of areas are very understaffed. Um, there's issues with um, the, the infrastructure of the hospitals as well, as we heard around the debate with the National Maternity Hospital. Um, a lot of them are very old buildings, so you know the, there's the infrastructure that's in place. Um, it might not accommodate extra people being in the rooms. That's kind of what they have said multiple times as well. Um, there's a lot of issues as well where the less people you have in the room, the easier it is for the hospitals to implement their own policies. Um, and unfortunately, we do hear that a lot from women, that when they go to these appointments, they feel that they're almost being coerced into decisions um, that things are put forward to them to kind of, again, push women through because we don't have the systems in place to spend an hour, you know, one-on-one midwifery-led care, which is supposed to be the gold standard, okay. what the national alternative, you know, strategy is supposed to be pushing. And it's not, you know, it's just not fit for purpose. Okay. So there's a myriad of issues there that I think are contributing to the hospitals wanting to keep these restrictions. All right. Uh, Brenda's on the line as well, Rachel. Stay with us. Um, Brenda, is this something that has affected you? Yes, it is. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I couldn't agree more with what Rachel is saying here. Um, It's absolutely, in my opinion, a form of coercive control, having pregnant women um, in appointment Mm -hmm. rooms, attending on their own with no support person in place with them, no one to kind of, you know, ask the care provider, you know, questions, no one to kind of say, hey, we need to just take a minute here and just, you know, look at the absolute risks perhaps that you're talking about. Or, you know, can we just take a breather here and just kind of, you know, have five minutes ourselves to discuss what's going on and come up with a plan for ourselves and see what that fits in with what our uh, first time ideas are. Um, I was under CUMH as a first time mother um, from last summer. I gave birth to my son in January of this year. Uh, I was lucky in that I was considered a, a low risk pregnancy. So I was able to attend my appointment for the majority of my pregnancy at a community clinic in, in Cork. Um, until later on in the pregnancy where the appointments ramp up, the clinics were closed because it was Christmas and I was left with no option but to attend CUMH in, in Wilton and Cork. And I do believe that there is a, an aspect of course of control here at the clinic with having no one there with you. You know, I emailed uh, at 34 weeks into my pregnancy, I emailed CUMH requesting that my husband uh, be allowed to attend. And I say allowed in inverted commas. You know, it, it shouldn't be allowed. You know, he's not a school child. I'm not a school child. You know, we are grown adults. You know, we're pregnant with our first child. And I feel that as the father of my baby, he should be entitled to be there at the appointment. He should be present to hear what's being discussed about, you know, my pregnancy and his child ultimately. Um, And not have to release the information, you know, sitting in the car park afterwards, hoping that I haven't forgotten, you know, a crucial piece of information. I emailed CMH, like I said. I was cold called a couple of weeks later by a midwife who, you know, said to me that, you know, if she lost the midwife because of COVID, uh, you know, if my husband brought COVID into the clinic, that she wouldn't be happy. 
the HSC aren't losing midwives in the system because partners and support people are bringing COVID into their clinics. They're losing midwives because midwives are ultimately seeking to uh, take up opportunity, employment opportunities elsewhere, you know, in Saudi Arabia, Australia, Canada, etc. Blaming partners bringing COVID into clinics for the loss of midwives is completely farcical. Well, sorry, I, I must have misunderstood you. I thought you just meant that they would, you know, if they um, contracted COVID, that they'd obviously be out for a week or, you know, 10 days or whatever. The, I don't know what, I, I can't even tell you what the restrictions are here. now. But it was insinuated that, you know, she couldn't afford to be down any further midwives because she's already lost so many midwives that she couldn't afford to lose further midwives due to illness. Okay, okay. People get sick anyway. You know, I attended the clinics. Midwives that I was speaking to, they were there for one clinic. They weren't there for the next because they got sick. It's unfair to put that responsibility on anyone's support. But sure, I presume if that was good, like, I'm sure you would have had no objection to your partner to, to taking a test or something. Absolutely. In the... And he was, you know, very conscientious. He's obviously living with me. I'm pregnant. I've had my boosters. He's had his boosters. He is obviously not going to do anything reckless that is going to cause him to catch COVID and bring it into our home. If he's not going to bring it into our home, he certainly isn't going to want to run the risk of bringing it into a clinic with, you know, dozens of other pregnant people around him. So that was completely farcical. When I said that, you know, we had a birth plan because we had done a, a gentle birth antenatal course with an amazing facilitator, uh, Shelley O'Halloran, absolutely fantastic. You know, she kind of said, oh, did you Google gentle birth? Did you Google hypnobirthing techniques? No, we paid to go outside of the HSE system and educate ourselves and become aware of the different options to all available to us at the time um you know she then kind of said uh oh well while you're on the phone here um uh do you want an induction you can have your baby before christmas no i i don't want an induction i don't want to have my baby before christmas my baby wasn't due till january you know and he ultimately came in january when he was you know supposed to come earth side it's all about coercive control it's all about getting women into the system it's all about induction of labor you know, the statistics, and Rachel will speak to this, the, the statistics in all the maternity hospitals across Ireland in terms of the induction of labour, cesarean sections for first-time mothers are asked absolutely at the moment okay okay i know i take your point in that i mean i probably don't know if it's fair to say now coercive control i mean to be fair to the hse and that but look i i you you know you have your obviously you've been affected brenda by this and i can you know i know i know it's had a it's had an impact on you and on your partner no doubt about that for instance this listener too says i had my son last year my husband wasn't allowed in with me he missed out on so much and it was so upsetting we had a difficult pregnancy the stress of having to do it on my own was torture my husband felt useless was very tough on him says this listener D- David is with us on the line David you're also a first time dad so have you got to go to any of the appointments yeah so I'm a, I'm a Brenda's husband so oh um, sorry she, David uh, how are you yeah no problems um, uh, she sent uh, she sent the email in for me um, in fairness to her just to say can I um, can I bring my husband and to attend the appointments and uh, that um, was then best put a cold call that uh, my wife just mentioned there, you know, why do you want to bring him in? You know, why can you not, you can just relay the information back. And I'm like, but I I'm, want to be a part of it. I, I want to be a part of any, you know, uh, unexpected things, any happy things, sad things, all of that there, because otherwise, you know, Brenda's going in by herself. And as you know, it's been described there, you know, she it's coercive control and all of that. And when I did go in, um, it was made to feel like a burden, you know, um, the midwife, when on the phone was like saying, you know, if you bring in COVID, I'm going to lose so many midwives, you know, this, this is a danger. And I'm just like, 
I'm taking my tests. I took um, I took an antigen test every time I went in. I was careful. I was respectful. I wore my mask. I did everything that was required at the time from the restrictions. Mm. Um, when I went in then to CUMH, the antenatal clinic, um, I was sitting with my wife with a very busy a very busy uh, waiting room with a load of. Uh, uh, pregnant uh, women and their partners and um, a receptionist came over in front of everyone and said you're not supposed to be here I would like you to leave and I go well, why is that because partners are not allowed and to which we said we sent an email the email was accepted but um, the embarrassment in front of everyone was palpable and you know partners are just made to feel like we're not really involved and do you feel you've you missed know, out Davis I was. I think I was very lucky in the sense that I was able to go to these appointments because we made we made our stance, made it very clear that we we wanted both of us to be there. But I know talking to other uh, fathers and partners that they didn't get to be there, and you know we're kind of afraid to ask questions. We're afraid to we we kind of do what we're told, and it's kind of like well, I guess we can't do anything about it. But it's like. Mm. Ask the question. What's okay. the worst that'll happen? No, it's a fair point. <laughs> um, Rachel, just to that point, actually, do it's it's not. Am I right in saying that the the restrictions like they vary quite differently from hospital to hospital? You're absolutely right there, Andrea. So it it very much depends on the hospital, and we saw this right throughout the height of the restrictions that it, it's a postcode lottery, and what you receive in your maternity care in Ireland, you know, um, what restrictions are in place, how strict they are with them. We hear from a lot of women that, you know, they might say, oh, no partners at antenatal appointments. But, you know, if you know a midwife or if you know somebody in the hospital, sure, we'll sneak them in. It'll be fine. Um, which is very distressing then, you know, for the women who don't know the system, who don't know how to kind of play that game. Um, you know, as Brenda mentioned there, that she did send in um, an email to mm. request her partner, um, Dave, there to come with her. Again, I have issues with that. Say to women that, oh, you can just request it. You can just write in. If you have literacy problems, if English is not your first language, if you're uh, a, you know, a migrant woman, there is a barrier there to that. So mm. you're then excluding them, you know, from having that ability to bring their partners in. Um, yeah, so it, it very much depends on the hospital, what their Okay, so it depends are. Yeah, where, yeah. Where, where you are. This texter says, I think part of the reason that pregnant women can't have people in with them is space. Andrea, if you go and have a look for yourself, there's no room. You'll find people sitting. Pregnant women have to stand because unthinking men and other non-pregnant women are taking up space, suggests this listener. Judy is with us on the line. Judy, you're a nurse. Um, what's your view in this conversation? Well, I'm I'm going to say that uh, it's very hard to legislate or regulate for everybody because everybody is individual and their circumstances are always individual to them. If there's an issue with pregnancies or if there's likely to be bad news, of course, I can understand that there would be a, a, a case bringing somebody with you. But I think what I'm trying to say is that in my experience, when we had uh, open visiting for, for different reasons, the first thing I would like to say is that when you give birth nowadays, it's not like it was some years ago. Most people, women come in, have the baby, and they go home the same day. So there isn't this long, protracted hospital stay as there once was, even with cesareans. They're out much earlier than they were. So I don't know really why all this fuss is that you have to bring your children in and all this business. The children will be at home to see the new baby, the same as it was several years ago, and there was no big issue over that. And I've also had experience of when there has been open visiting and people have been allowed to bring in their children. Um, We've had endless problems because some people are not responsible and 
we're talking that gentleman that was speaking there. He's he still with us. Very, yeah, a very David, responsible yeah. man and all that. But you have to also consider the people that are coming in who are not responsible and they bring in their children. They leave them. It's almost like a crash where the children are running unsupervised up and down the wards. We've had all that before. And um, it just becomes very hard to manage. So I just wonder, this lady who's who's wants all this change, does she realise the logistics of being able to carry out these things? And again, the other texter made a point there where there is just no space, excuse me, for too many people. You know, some well, t- in some hospitals, not all. If okay. there's space, fair enough. Well, Rachel is still with us, actually. Yeah, um, just to respond to that there, Judy, um, I would say, first of all, women are are spending lengthy stays in the hospital. Um, after I gave birth to my daughter um, in 2021, I was there for a week. She was in the NICU, um, and we only got an hour with my husband each day, and he had split that then, so half an hour with me, half an hour with our daughter in the NICU. And I can tell you, it's extremely distressing. I could understand that in that circumstances, and I did say circumstances alter cases, yes. Yeah, I'm talking about the straightforward uh, births where people come in, have their baby and go home. And there's an enormous amount of those as well. Even within those, though, there's issues with childcare. So if there is a partner who is coming to visit, they don't have family. As I mentioned, migrant women and women from ethnic minority backgrounds, a lot of times they don't have the same support systems that a lot of other women do. So they need to bring the child with them. It's either they don't go to see their wife or they bring the child with them. You know, they're, they're, they don't have that opportunity to leave the child with someone else and to go in on their own. And, um, you know, this was a particular issue with us at the visiting times at that point in time. And thankfully, this has all changed now, you know, that they can go um, in most hospitals from around 9 a.m. until um, 8 p.m. Again, that depends on your hospital. But the time that we were allotted was from 6 to 8 p.m., smack dab in the middle of bedtime for our toddler. So, again, an added barrier of trying to find someone to put her to bed so that my husband could come in. They just don't think about all of these other issues. And I take your point, you know, we don't want to have the hospitals overrun with visitors. But I think we need to really understand that partners and children are not visitors. They are your family. They're your support. Um, and there's okay. a huge difference between... Well, they can be visitors to the staff, especially if these children are not supervised. And I've had, uh, and my and other colleagues have had, first-hand experience of people who are not responsible and not looking after their children when they come into the hospital. They almost expect you to do the minding. The listener here says, I don't know one woman who's left hospital the same day as they gave birth. Michael has gotten touched to say the COVID excuse doesn't make sense as if the partner has it, then the mother probably has it too. Um, this listener, I went for my 12-week scan by myself last year and found out we'd no heartbeat. I went through this, further discussions with doctors and the DNC, all by myself, as my husband wasn't allowed to come with me. I understand the restrictions were needed through COVID, but it's so cruel to just continue this for no clear reason. I'm still traumatised. Well, I, I think if there's no all. clear reason, it's cruel. And in a case like that, of course, there should be there should be efforts made for mm. the partner. Absolutely. To that's, that's, that's humanity. Bre- Bre- Brenda, just one final point maybe to you. Like, I suppose the fact that the mask restrictions, um, and that's maybe how a lot of this conversation is, has, has kicked off because the restrictions on mask wearing that's going to be eased at some hospitals that still have these restrictions in place. But, but uh, you know, I presume you too are now looking for all of the restrictions really to be lifted. 
Yeah, I am. And, you know, to Judy's point, and she say, you know, that women, some women are going home, you know, the same day that they have their baby. I had an emergency cesarean section. You know, I had, you know, major surgery. I had a catheter inserted. Anyone who's gone through the process knows what it entails. And literally 10 minutes at 6 a.m. in the morning when my catheter was removed, 10 minutes after that, I was having to get out of my bed to walk the corridors to look for water because there was no nurse available to even bring me a glass of water post-surgery. So in less than 12 hours' time, I'm on my feet in, in CUMH, you know, trying to find someone who can help me because there's no one available. Furthermore to that, later on that day, I had a very severe hemorrhage in the bed. I was left in that bed for six hours waiting for someone to come and replace my surgical stocking. I needed my husband at my mm. side to do the most basic of tasks. Yeah, no, it's fair, fair point. It's, it's incredibly humiliating. And to think that, you know, you're ringing the bell, the nurses are massively overstretched. And I completely accept yeah. that. But to think that if my baby had been born one, two years previous to when he was born, my husband wouldn't have even been there at that time in the day to be able to mm. help me to complete the most basic of tasks. Okay. It is so humiliating to be there after having a severe hemorrhage following major surgery and to not even have someone there to come, change the bed clothes, change the sheets, make sure you're comfortable, replace your surgical stockings. They're basic human rights. And to think that I could have been alone if, if Theo was born in 2020, I could have been yeah. alone. Yeah. What well, was look, I supposed to do? Yeah, no, I, I, take, I, 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 I take your point completely, Brenda, on that. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We're talking about the fact that some hospitals still have COVID-19 restrictions in place for maternity care, despite the fact that restrictions on mask wearing, uh, that's going to be eased and a lot of reaction to this. Uh, this texture here says, I had my baby at Kerry University Hospital last November. Absolutely no issue throughout my pregnancy with having my husband attend every single scan. It was an absolute dream in there. I can't praise them enough. I totally agree with having your partner visit you once you've had the baby, but it was lovely not having the extended family, the neighbours down the road in on top of you when you're trying to recover. It was lovely just to be able to um, be in our own little bubble of love for those first couple of days. Nikki is with us. Nikki, have you been affected by the maternity restrictions? Um, yes, I have. So I had my daughter back in October 2021. Um, and because it's just me and my husband, like we moved to Ireland, our family are in Scotland. So we have an older child who was two and a half at the time whilst I was having my daughter. So for my husband to join me in the hospital whilst I was giving birth to my daughter, it was a cesarean section because she was breached. We had to hire a Dublin nanny service for the day for our son. Um, So my husband could join me that day whilst our daughter was being born. Um, Because of the restrictions at the hospital with um, no children being allowed in, uh, my husband couldn't come visit with our son. Uh, well, so I was in the hospital for three days after my daughter was born. Um, I was actually climbing the walls, like, can I just go home now, please? Mm. <laughs> um, I really wanted to go home uh, and see my son. Like, we FaceTimed and things like that, but he was two and a half and he didn't understand where mummy had went. Um, and then I got home. And now I'm pregnant again. Uh, and my husband can come to the 20-week scan, which is next week. But the only way for him to come to the 20-week scan is for us to have flown in, my mother and father-in-law, to look after our two children so he can come join me whilst I'm getting my 20-week scan and see our, our doctor. Um, like I went private at the Rotunda uh, first time round. I had an amazing experience with my doctor and the midwife. They were very caring, very understanding. Um, and I went back to the same doctor this time 
because he was just amazing and looked after me really well when I had my daughter. So, like, in the healthcare aspect, it was really good. But I missed my partner, my husband, being there with me during the journey. Um, it was really important for me when we had our son. He was at every appointment. He got to come with me and do everything with me. Yeah. Um, and it was a bonding experience for both of us as we're going through this journey of adding to our family. Um, with my daughter being born, it was very much like I felt lonely. Not that he wouldn't drive me to the hospital and wait outside in the car park and want to know what was going on when I had appointments, but he couldn't come in. So and you're affected by the, this, I suppose, again, Nikki, and, and I'm, I'm sure, yeah. you know, what, two and a half years later or two years later, I'm, I'm sure you, you didn't think that, you know, this would still be the case. For this long, um, and when I was in for my initial appointment with my doctor, I was like, is there anything I can do? Like, I really want my husband and my children to come and see me when I'm in hospital with the baby. Like, I really want my husband to come with me to the appointment. Um, and he said all I could do was complain about the department, not not about my doctor, but about the, the restrictions, and maybe they might make an allowance for me. But he did say it was a maybe and highly doubtful that they would because they've not done it yet. Um, and so it's it's really hard. How did he, like, I mean, for your partner, Nikki, I mean, I'm, I'm, like, I know from talking to, to David a little earlier, like, there's, you know, it's it's tough, I suppose. It really is. It was yeah. tough on him. Like, he felt he was missing out on on the journey. Like, he, he'd take me to the hospital and he would wait outside for me and then he'd ask me, hey, how is it going? But he wasn't there. He wasn't listening. He didn't get to ask questions. Like, the first time he actually met the doctor was, like, an hour before uh, my surgery. Um, because the doctor was off when I got my 20-week scan at the time and my husband got to join me for my 20-week scan when I had my daughter. But he didn't actually get to meet the doctor that I had selected until half an hour before surgery. Um, and he was quite like, oh, hello. And like, he loved my doctor. My doctor was really nice. Um, my husband was happy with the doctor. I was happy with the doctor. But he didn't get to you know, ask questions. Yeah. He didn't get to join in in the, the journey. If that makes any sense, but yeah. especially towards the end of my pregnancy as well, it was quite a highly stressful time as my mother had passed when I was thirty four weeks pregnant. So it was really a stressful time as well as like you know coming to end of my pregnancy. I needed my like my partner, my support, because um, sometimes I'm quite quiet, but he knows generally what I want, and if I tell him what I want, he will advocate for what I want. He mm-hmm. did it with my son. Um, he advocated like this is what she wants. Listen, um, and you know, they actually listened to him, whereas they didn't listen to me. Um, and he's like my biggest supporter and he didn't get to be there and join in and ask the questions and just support me. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I take the point completely, um, Nikki. I, I want to give you some of the, bring you some of the texts as well that are coming in from listeners. This texter, for instance, says on a positive note for the maternity hospitals, we lost our baby during COVID when full restrictions were in place. I attended the scan alone, uh, but when my problem was discovered, my husband was allowed in and a midwife took care of my other son. My husband was allowed to stay with me all day and night when I delivered our son and we were given plenty of time and space to say our goodbyes. The care was second to none. The team in the coombe that dealt with the fatal fetal abnormalities were amazing and deserve so much praise, says this texter. Another listener says, um, I think partners or nominating a par- nominate partners should be with the mum absolutely, but kids, no. 
I'm not a nurse or medical professional, but it must be impossible for nurses and doctors to effectively and efficiently carry out their duties and often have to tend to emergencies while walking through a group of kids and visitors. Also, the entire experience should be a break for the mum. There'll be plenty of time for visitors at home. Another listener again. It seems like we're in the dark ages, not allowing partners in the hospital. 21 years ago, um, I was taking my then wife to hospital in Hungary, supported her all the way with delivery and the doctor put my um, half a minute old son in my arms. Wouldn't trade the moment for anything. Some years later I assisted my second wife with all procedures with IVF and at the end I was invited into the theatre, although it was a, it was a caesarean. I chose to stay out as that was a proper operation, but still uh, they handed me my daughter while my wife was still being worked on by the doctors. This should also be allowed here as well, says this texter. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.